This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I'd like to welcome a whole bunch of new contributors this week. A lot of people reached out and had discussions with me about wanting to contribute. They seem to share the same vision that we all do of just getting excited about all of this awesome stuff and sharing it with all of you. So I'd like to welcome everybody. Uh, I'd also like to say there's a few other people I haven't gotten a chance to respond to yet or respond as many times as I want. There was many ongoing conversations. And, you know, of course, it's real life. So there's a few people that I will not be responding to. Uh, But there is one thing that I definitely want to say is what we're trying to do here is slightly different than what most other people have tried to do. And we're going to make mistakes. I am going to make quite a few mistakes. So I would just like to ask that everybody at least recognize that and try to stick with us along the way. Um, the, the one mistake I might be making this week is I held off on some posts just so that there is an even amount of content from last week to, to this coming week, but that might have been a mistake. It might not have been. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of stuff like that. There's going to be, that's going to be growing pains and, and stuff that we have to all kind of go through together. So please just know that we're all trying our best. I sure as hell am. And I just want to make this the cool experience for everybody possible and really truly make it focused about the community. So anyway, enough rambling. Let's jump in and see what we got this week. First up, Chris from Displaced Gamers just posted a video about how scrolling works on the NES. And I got to admit, this is one of those videos and one of those situations that I watched the whole thing. I think I grasped exactly what it is Chris was talking about, but I'm not smart enough to re-explain it. So I'm very grateful that Chris is now able to post his own here and in his own words... When doing research for the project, Chris found many new NES developers struggled a little bit when it came to understanding name tables and mirroring. This video makes an effort to highlight the differences between the contents of VRAM, physical name tables, and how we address them, logical name tables, in addition to scrolling. So, a quick setup for our background tiles, followed by how the camera is positioned during vertical blank. Scrolling itself is pretty easy. Yeah, so... Once again, um, I would not have been able to articulate that as well, and that is a perfect description for what it is that the video is about. So if you're like me and you're fascinated by this stuff but are not a programmer, it was still a great one, um, and I do have an, a much deeper understanding of how this stuff works. Uh, and if you're a programmer, the thing that I just read off of Chris's post will probably be more than enough info to get you excited and make you want to watch the video. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC PCB, my favorite place to go for all the hardware projects I'm involved in. Boards up to two layers are usually ready to ship within a day or two, and boards up to six layers ship within a week, all for the same starting price of $2 for five pieces. They also offer stencils for people assembling their own components with a reflow oven, as well as even offer full assembly options for SMD and through-hole components if you'd like them to make the whole thing. Getting started is as easy as adding a Gerber file right to their website, selecting your options, color, and how many you'd like made. 
You can even add a stencil right from here to make it easier. If you're in a rush, you can get your orders extremely fast via DHL shipping. It's not cheap, but you'll be impressed how fast your order arrives. If you're on a budget, or just not in a rush, they have shipping options starting at under $5. If you'd like more info on JLC PCB, keep checking out these ads as the weeks go by, as I'll soon post more walkthroughs on how to use all the features they offer. Pre-orders are still open for a vinyl edition of the Shadow Dancer Secret of Shinobi soundtrack, and while most editions are sold out, the translucent teal version is still available, and all of them should start shipping out late next week. Price is about $25, and they also have repressed editions of Streets of Rage 1 and 2, Golden Axe, The Revenge of Shinobi, Space Harrier, and several others. So if you're interested in vinyl soundtracks, definitely check out the link to Data Discs, as well as Crystal's post. And I did want to take this opportunity to kind of ask everybody's opinion on this, because I see two reasons for people to purchase this. The first is just because it's an awesome collector's item, as with most of these vinyl releases. The artwork's beautiful. Uh, you know, you get a physical package of something that's really neat. And of course, you get to listen to it if you choose to as well. But the collector side of things makes perfect sense. The only question I had was on the actual audio side of things. And I don't mean any any disrespect to data disks or the team who does this or Crystal's post. I just as a nerd, I have to ask, um, in the post on the website, they said audio is sourced from a Japanese Mega Drive console remastered in-house and cut at 45 RPMs. So what edition of the Mega Drive did they use? What condition was it in? Did they check it with MD Fourier first to make sure that it lined up and it was what most people would have expected to hear from that? And does anybody care? And I mean that in a nice way, but you know, if 75% of the people who buy this are just collectors who, who want it for what it is physically and the music is kind of a cool bonus, then no, most people don't care. But for me personally, I like to look at this as a nerdy way to experience something slightly different. So just to, to back up for a second, and this also is stemming from a post Nicole uh, put up on Twitter, which, yes, it's Twitter, but this was actually positive. So if you go read it, remember that. Um, no, you know, no, no shade thrown at anybody here, but these games all generated their audio digitally on the chips on board the Genesis or Mega Drive, but we all heard them analog because by the time it came out of the console, that was left-right analog through either headphones or speakers. And there are amazing soundtracks, but you always heard them with the analog warmth to them. So for me personally, if I saw this as somebody took a digital version, so maybe they recorded it from Mr. via the HDMI digital output, but checked all the settings to make sure it lined up to the exact MD Fourier approved Japanese Mega Drive version six. I forgot what was the best one. Please let me, you know, give me a pass on that MD Fourier team. But if if they took the audio digitally and then mastered it on vinyl, what that in my opinion would be is a different analog method of experiencing it. Because both times, the you know, in both scenarios, the chips themselves or FPGA chips would generate it via analog or via digital and we'd be listening to it via analog just this time the warmth that you get from a needle on a record as opposed to the warmth of the chips and electronics on a genesis so it would be the same style to experience it but different so if they sourced it from a genesis console that's analog to analog so what, how did that change the signal? And as I'm starting to get more and more into cassettes and vinyl, 
You know, I, I definitely don't think there's a best way to do anything, but they are absolutely different ways. And when you change the sound on some of these things, you could change the experience. Now, once again, maybe nobody cares. Maybe I'm and you know, the five people on that Twitter post are the only people that think about things like this. And that's fine. I don't mind being the weird nerd at all. But I did want to ask all of you in the community their opinions on this stuff. And that, you know, how how do we all think this should be gone about by mastering these and recording them? Or, or does it matter at all? Should I just shut up and enjoy the artwork and the, the fact that there's something awesome and physical that you could purchase for a very fair price? It's not like these are $100 records. They're, you know, 25 bucks plus shipping. You know, that's the fact that we get it and it looks as good as they usually do is should be good enough for most people. But I wanted to ask the question because that's something that I was definitely interested in. And I do think digital recordings then sent to vinyl would actually be a really great analog way to experience these amazing soundtracks. But who knows? We'll see. Um, Love to read and hear your thoughts about this one. But either way, check out Crystal's post if you want to pre-order any of these or the other games that I mentioned as well. Mike Chi just released a couple of experimental firmwares for the RetroTINK 5X, but before I even talk about them at all, there are two things that I need to absolutely impress upon everybody. First of all, if you want to see all of these things demoed, please check out Wobbling Pixels videos. Uh, I have two embedded in this post, or one now, the second should be by the time this goes live, and that's a, a great way to see for yourself what these things do. But the second disclaimer is that a bunch of the things I'm about to talk about and Wobbling Pixel showed are unsupported features that Mike threw in there just to see if they would work. So do not approach this as a selling point for the RetroTINK 5X. Look at it as a cool bonus that may or may not work, but there's no support for these. There's no guarantee. This is just Mike sharing with the world his, you know, some of his crazy ideas and in tweaking that he's trying out. But I do want to go over a few of them, and I'll start with the one that is, I guess, a solid feature that will be supported in that now when you uh, when you save your profile, you could select which profile you'd like to load on boot. And that's important for a few things. First, if you're just lazy like me and you're tired of flipping input buttons, you could save a profile where the input is your SCART input as opposed to the default of component video. So that alone just saves a couple of steps, but it's also important for people who want to do downscaling to 240p because you get everything set up on your main flat panel, set downscaling, save it, then you would set it to boot from that profile. So then you could safely plug that into your PVM or whatever else and have your downscaling without having to change any of the resolutions or leave it on or something like that. Um, The next feature that's definitely worth talking about that is beta, might not ever be out of beta, might not work on everybody's TV, is a 16 by 9 1440p mode. So up until now, you were able to scale to 1440p, but it was actually 1920 by 1440, so a 4x3 signal. So, you know, at at best, most people would have to probably hit the uh, aspect ratio button on their TV, which depending on your TV or monitor, that could be buried and annoying, or it could be super easy. So either way, that's something that you would not have to worry about now if your TV is compatible, because it'll send the true 16x9 signal. But that also opens up the possibility of 720p line doubling to 1440, which is cool for a couple reasons. First, if you're having or if you're playing any content that's 2D based or sharp scaled or anything like that, sharp scaling it 
uh, doubling to 1440 means that it'll look amazing on your 1440p monitor and it'll also look good on your 4k tv because that's less time or that's less resolution that needs to be scaled to the native resolution of the panel so rather than going from 720 soft scale to 4k you're going 1440 soft scaled to 4k so you should end up with a slightly sharper image if that's what you want but on the flip side, the smooth and soft scaling algorithms built into the RetroTINK 5X should work as well. So if you're playing early th uh, or mid 3D graphics like PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, basically the end of the analog era, because those are the last uh, two that really supported a lot of analog outputs, um, then that would be a way to, to scale those. And I guess the Wii U as well from 720p up, which could be a benefit for some people and you know this is going to be a per game per situation basis but there are a few games that i know of on the playstation 3 that run at a higher frame rate if they're rendered in a lower resolution so while it's not going to magically make it look like that game has rendered in 1080p or 1440p what it might do is the total overall experience might be that you take that 1440 or the uh, 480p widescreen signal line triple that to 1440p widescreen uh, or even 720 to 1440, and you get the higher frame rate, and while it's not going to look as good as better rendering, it'll certainly look better than 480p. So that's kind of a neat thing, um, and something that basically, if you have the ability to output 480p or 720p from any of those consoles, I would give it a try, just because. I mean, if you already own a RetroTINK 5X, the update's free, so why not? Um, also, you could... Now, access optimal sampling profiles on S-Video and composite sources. The last time I tested anything like this was the CoreU through the open source scan converter. And S-Video really benefited from optimal timings, if that's the look that you're going for. Composite video, though, in my opinion, when I was testing it then, you're really sharp scaling uh, all of the interference as well. So I have not had a chance to try it yet in the RetroTINK 5X, and the TINK 5X has a really good comb filter. So maybe it's going to be great, but that's kind of the other thing about this is it's free. So just give it a try. Uh, you know, and the right answer is whatever your eyes prefer. Nothing adds more lag, you know, comb filter, no comb filter, optimal profiles, generic profiles. It's the same amount of lag. So there's no disadvantage to just trying it and seeing what happens. Now there's also a 24 frame per second. I'm going to have to repeat this a couple times because I want to make sure people hear me before I continue. A 24 or 30 frame per second only 4k mode so don't get excited yet it is not a 4k 60 beta firmware it is 4k 24 or 4k 30 so first and foremost what that means is you're going to start adding a ton of lag to the signal because while i'll admit my 4k 30 and 4k 60 lag testing has been kind of limited whenever i dropped it down to 30 the lag went up significantly so while, yes, you could play Stunt Race FX at its 7 frames per second in, you know, this 24 or 30 frame per second mode and you won't see a difference, or even Virtua Racing, that's a, you know, 20 frame or 15 to 20 frame per second game, stuff like that, you're not going to see any difference, but you will feel the difference because you will have a lot more lag. So this is not something, you know, make sure that you, when you're talking about this with people, you know, it's awesome that Mike released this. It's very cool that we get to 
should test this. And if you're using things that don't matter for lag, like, you know, like those on-screen board games that I used to like as a kid or turn-by-turn RPGs where lag definitely doesn't matter, then yeah, try it out. It might look ridiculously good, sharp scaled all the way up to the native resolution of your panel. But if you're having any gaming scenario in which lag matters, this probably isn't going to be the best for you. Now, your panel might differ, your projector, whatever else your setup might have. Uh, Maybe it's not that bad, but I just wanted to put that out there first, um, just to set expectations. However, if you're watching any content that was originally 24 or 30 frames per second, like, you know, some DVDs are 24p, some, I think VHS tapes were all 480i 60, but the content was originally, you know, some of it was recorded as cinematic 24. Uh, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but I just wanted to basically say that this is an awesome feature that you could play around with, but just don't go around saying the RetroTINK 5X is now a 4K scaler because that's not fair to Mike and that's not fair to, to, you know, to any of the users that might fire it up, put it in 4K24 mode and go, this looks amazing, but something's wrong. It's a little jittery, feels a little sticky on the controls. So, you know, I, I could be wrong about that. I haven't had a chance to do a deep dive on this, but I think it's safe to just set realistic expectations for all of this and make sure people come at this properly. Now, who knows? Maybe a month from now, there'll be a, a hardware add-on that you could solder onto your RetroTINK 5X that'll make it do 8K a million frames per second. I don't know. I'm just talking about right now, today, as I'm recording this, that's what my test results and my perspective are. So didn't mean to ramble so long about this, but I just want to make sure to always get the right info out there because there's so much misinformation spread about everything these days. I want to make sure to do everybody justice. So please check out Wobbling Pixels videos on this subject. If you own a RetroTINK 5X, absolutely load this firmware and give it a try. And the 4K mode is just another option. So it's not like if you put this on and it doesn't work right for you, it's going to hurt anything else. You just flip it back to 1080p 5x and you're good to go. So uh, hopefully that's all the info you need. Check out Wobbling Pixels videos in the post for more info. And as always, thanks to Mike for releasing these ridiculously cool firmware updates. A Kickstarter campaign was just funded for a new Sega Genesis or Mega Drive game, Affinity Sorrow, and this is a top-down RPG heavily inspired by games like Final Fantasy, Lufia, Breath of Fire, Dragon Quest, and the Mana series. Mana series, however you say it. Um, The game will be available as a ROM file and as an in-house made cartridge. So I I love that right off the bat. Um, I would love to have the space to collect all of the games I want to play, but I would rather just purchase the ROM to still support the developer and keep it right on a ROM car or Mr. or something or Retro NES. So, uh, you know, good call on uh, Second Dimension Games for doing that. Also, they've released at least two successful Kickstarters for Genesis games. Um, And I can't remember if the cartridge was beveled edge and ran at the right voltage, but Uh, Either way, I hope this one is, regardless of what their past Kickstarters were. But this is one of those things where the Kickstarter is already funded. They have a good track record. So if this looks like a game that might appeal to you, definitely check out the post and see if it's something that you want to back. You know, I'm always really excited for new retro releases. And uh, I especially just like when it tackles both ends of things. You know, it's a good game. You could buy the ROM, but there's also cool packaging, well-built cartridges and stuff that collectors could enjoy as well. So check out the Kickstarter campaign in the post for all the details you'd need on this one.
Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just released a video about a cartridge reader that's able to save games from Super Nintendo, N64, Genesis, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance. This is one of the coolest cartridge reader devices I've ever seen, and one of the best features about it is you don't need a PC at all. I'm sure you could plug it into your PC for firmware updates, but all you need to do is use the on-screen menu, and it saves it right to the device, right to an SD card. Tito demos all of this stuff in the video. Um, it's a great video, and it seems like a great device as well, and it's an open source project. So the only downsides of this is the Kickstarter that was originally created for it is sold out. There will be more made available at some point. You would just want to follow the uh, Twitter account that's going to be posting. And of course, you know, we'll let everybody know when they come back on sale. It is an open source project, so you should be able to make your own if you have the ability to. Uh, but I don't think this is an easy build. So for me personally, I will definitely be picking one up when they be, uh, come up for sale again. Because I always wanted a handy cartridge reader, but I just wanted something that was easy to use. I always get grumpy about using the command line because I grew up in an era where there was only the command line. and We didn't have any other choices. And I feel like I've earned the right to have a pretty GUI in most cases. You know, like the RetroTank 5X Mac update. And once you're set up, that's copying and pasting one line of code. That's a little different. For stuff like this, I would really prefer just a GUI, nice thing that I could, you know, scroll through the menu and select whatever cartridge I want and either rip the ROM itself or the save game file or both. So this definitely seems like a device I'm interested in. And I think most collectors who want to rip their own ROMs and back up their save files might be interested in this as well. So please check out Tito's video in the post for more info, and we will, of course, update people when it becomes easily available for purchase, or just check out the GitHub yourself if you want more info on maybe how to build your own. Matt Underwood just posted a guide that allows you to play Scum VM games, so older style PC games, on the Dreamcast. Now, why might you want to do that if you already have the ability to play a PC game on your PC? Well, what if you're using an RGB monitor or consumer-grade TV? It might actually be a lot more work or even more money to try to get a solution to get your PC running on your TV, on your CRT TV, than it would to just follow this guide step-by-step build your game and convert it to essentially a Dreamcast ROM to play either on a disc or on something like a mode or the GDMU or something like that. So it doesn't, it doesn't look quick, but it also doesn't look too hard in that, you know, you need to follow these steps one by one. You need to be patient and read everything through. You know, I, I tend to skip ahead sometimes. So whenever I go to try this out, I'll make sure to just be patient and read it one step at a time. But essentially you just create a CDI image of it, not Philips CDI. That's the file format that many Dreamcast games are stored in. And then you should be able to just launch it with, uh, with any any method that you normally boot or launch Dreamcast backups. So while this isn't for everybody, I imagine there probably is a large group of people that think this is a neat way to experience their games on some kind of CRT display through your Dreamcast. Now, a lot of these games, um, you know, they're, they're click you know, click by click, I almost said turn by turn role playing games, but like click by click adventure games, lag's not going to matter. Um, software emulation glitches are, aren't really going to come and play like an action game. 
And, you know, and some are, but I do think that this is a really great scenario for people to want to experience these games on a CRT or just in a weird and different way, especially if you already own a Dreamcast keyboard or something like that. So I was very, very happy when Matt approached me uh, to see if I wanted the guide up on Retro RGB because, yes, definitely, I think this is something that at least a handful of people who are listening right now are probably going to scramble to check out this post and do it for their favorite original PC games or something like that. So, uh, you know, thanks to Matt, thanks to the Scum VM team for always adding cool and different additions to the emulation. Uh, and of course, you know, thanks to all of you for giving this stuff a try and post your feedback. Let, you know, let us know how it works and which games that you decided to play on your Dreamcast. Jimmy Hoppe just released a video about a Goimon game for the Game Boy Color that was only released in Japan. If you're a fan of the series, it follows suit with some of the same action style gameplay and great music as the others, and it's definitely something you would want to check out. There is not a translation available for it yet, however, this is the type of game where you could probably progress through just fine, you would just miss elements of the story. So Jimmy's got you covered there, because you could check out the, uh, his video where you get all of the info on the story about the game, which is silly as usual, uh, as well as everything else that you might want to know about it. Um, you know, I, it, the Goemon series is something that I still haven't had a chance to check out, and it seems like something I would really like. It's just a time thing. But if you like playing Game Boy Color games and you like the series, this kind of seems like a must-play, um, just because it looks really cool and it's got a lot of the same music and graphics elements as some of the 16-bit titles just released in 2000 on the Game Boy Color. Also, I asked Jimmy if he could do his own posts for these game or for the videos like this, because while I do really enjoy watching his videos and having my own thoughts on them, I just never do as good of a job as Jimmy does explaining it. And I asked him to just cut and paste a quick description to make it easier. And instead, as you can see, he posted an awesome detailed post that gets you exactly what you would want to expect. So my suggestion is, even if you don't know what a Goemon game is, read Jimmy's post real quick and that should get you fired up enough to enjoy the video, which I thought was excellent as usual. So welcome, Jimmy. Thank you very much for your time, and please, please keep making these videos. Uh, I've learned so much about games that I would have never heard about if it wasn't for these, so thank you very much. I just posted an interview with Justin from Console Kits and RetroRGB. Justin's the web developer that was able to help transfer the site from that HTML-based version to RetroRGB 3.0, which is what you've been seeing for the past few years, and I would have never been able to do that without his help. Plus, he's contributed a whole bunch more other stuff behind the scenes helping out. And, you know, we, we joked in the interview about how we talk on a kind of regular basis, so that's I, I couldn't figure out why we never did a podcast before, and it's probably because I must have assumed we already did because we talk on a regular basis but we finally got to it it's a very laid back chill two friends hanging out inviting others to, to join us virtually of course so kind of a you know picture this one as a grab your cup of coffee beer glass of water whatever slide over and, and hang out um we also did talk a lot about console kits which is his youtube channel where he focuses recently on arcade one-up cabinets which anybody who's been following the podcast knows i have mixed feelings about them i certainly love the cheaper ones for what they are fun toys that kids would love and just a, a neat little blast of nostalgia if you want to just game for a couple minutes but you know i do also have some some pretty critical 
criticisms, if you will, about them, because I think they could be something that's pretty awesome if the team chose. So we kind of discussed pretty deeply our thoughts on that one. Uh, so if you're interested in that, please keep an open mind, because I, I do hear a lot of people think that arcade one-ups are totally junk and useless, which I don't think that. And I do think a lot of people think that they're perfect recreations of arcades, which definitely not. Somewhere in between. Uh, also, I'd like to welcome a new sponsor for the Monday podcasts uh, for at least a little bit. Uh, hopefully we could have them stick around, but Riverside, which is how I recorded those, and my rant at the beginning of the podcast was 100% genuine. Uh, I was excited when I learned about that. I learned that from from Lewis and, uh, and Steve's podcast, the Zez Retro podcast, and I just thought it was awesome, and the team seems cool, and they even gave a 30% discount for anybody that wants to try it themselves. Just go to retrorgb.link forward slash Riverside and use coupon code RetroRGB30 for a 30% off discount, uh, either the first three months or a yearly plan. So, I mean, you know, I, I always make the point that I don't want to just have us, you know, have some kind of uh, support from people that I don't care about. I mean, if it's not at all related to retro gaming, I would totally lay out on a Casper mattress and talk about how lag free it is or some shit like that. But when I talk about getting sponsored by, by stuff that I use or that I think you might use, I only want to talk about stuff I'm actually passionate about and care about. I don't ever want to shill anything, which, you know, you could say I'm totally shilling JLC, PCB and Riverside, and that's fine. I like them. I use them. And, you know, I, I show proof that I use them. So I'll take that one on the chin if that's what you really feel like talking about. But, uh, you know, hopefully I'm going to have a few other people that would be willing to support the channel like this. And it's always going to be stuff that I truly, honestly believe in and use or or so ridiculous out in left field that no one will mistake it, you know, like the whole stupid Casper mattress thing. But anyway, please check out the podcast as well as Riverside as well. And of course, subscribe to Justin on his channel and on social media. Um, you know, I think he's going to branch out and do a little more than just arcade one up. But if you want some info on that, that's definitely the place to go. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm just going to be skimming through all of the updates, but if you'd like any more info, please check out Lou's video, subscribe to him, and check out the post as well if you want direct links to any of this stuff. But let's jump in and see what we got. First up, Noblin is working on GunCon 2 support for multiple cores, which means that you could take one PlayStation GunCon 2 and be able to use that not just on PlayStation, but on multiple cores, which is really cool because that would require less adapters, less configuration. You could just have one pretty comfortable light gun that would work with multiple. So I'm looking forward to see how that progresses. There is now an official version of the MT32 Pi announced by Sorlig, and it's called the MT32 Pi Lite. Uh, I believe this one is posted out on GitHub, and I'm not sure if anybody is selling them yet, but that's certainly something that will make a separate post uh, about whenever it comes up, because I think that's something that a lot of people were interested in. And now that there's kind of a new light, smaller version available with a Pi Zero, I think that might even be more appealing to people as well, because it's just less stuff hanging off your, your, your mister. 
Also, season two of Mr. Stage Events will start on February 13th. Uh, those are the audio interviews hosted by Artemio that I really liked a lot. Uh, I covered a bunch of those last year and just, uh, you know, I could listen to Artemio talk all the time and not get bored. But when he has interesting people on and, you know, it was really able to talk about, you know, Mr. or gaming or even life related things. I, I just really enjoyed those and thought they were a great addition. So uh, looking forward to seeing what guests he has on next. There is also video filter presets, which is such good news because while I respect and love all of the time and effort that went into making those very nice and very high quality scanline filters, the full mask filters and all of that stuff, it was still something that felt like a dev option. And now it doesn't. Now you just flip on a profile and you can still tweak them to your liking if you choose to, but you could just flip on different video presets and basically with one button push, have something that looks like a PVM, a consumer grade TV, etc. So that's pretty cool. Uh, there's also different filters available for Game Boy and Trash Uncle released one that kind of makes it look more like the Game Boy Pocket, the Game Boy Light. I believe one from Risha a few weeks ago really did a good job making it look like the crappy original green screen, which is neat for nostalgia. And, uh, you know, it's something that I certainly had fun playing with. Also, there is the ability to have a custom Mr-related BIOS for the Master System. And I think that's neat too, because there's also a few things like the MK2000 BIOS that plays that really cool Space Harrier theme that uses both the FM chip and the regular chip. Uh, Maxim and I talked about that in the interview if you want more info, but hopefully we'll be able to see neat things like that. But you know, it's not going to completely change your, your Mr. Master System gaming experience, but it's neat and I think it's worth the time to mess with. Also, the PlayStation Core builds available on GitHub or the Mr. FPG or the Mr. Discord have CD-ROM audio in it now, and it seems to be coming along pretty well. Clint uh, just mentioned to me the other day that he's been playing through Symphony of the Night, and every time there's a new build of the Core, he'll just update to that and keep playing, and said it's been very stable and he's had good experience with it. So it's pretty cool to be hearing this from multiple angles, you know, the devs, testers, and you know everybody in between. So it's good news for people who wanted to, uh, or looking forward to the PlayStation Core, which is pretty much everybody. Um, also, the NES has save state support for more mappers, and shadow masks and the different CRT filters are coming to all of Hotego's cores, Game Boy Advance, Commodore 64, Atari 7800, ZX Spectrum, PMD85, Laser 310, and the CompuKit UK101, which I haven't ever actually heard of those last two, but <laughs> sorry. So it, that's awesome. I'm really glad people are starting to, um, to embrace those because while I promise I won't go off on a rant about this, for years I really couldn't stand that scan lines as we knew them were just horizontal lines drawn across the screen. Now, in the context of 240p line doubled to 480p on a CRT VGA monitor, those were perfect and everything that you would need, and that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, those just black horizontal lines on a flat panel, even if they were perfectly spaced, just never really made me feel like I was playing on a CRT. It just made me feel like there was lines drawn across the screen, whereas these full masks really do emulate much closer to the experience of a CRT. And, you know, of course, you're going to need things like an OLED screen with, uh, you know, black frame insertion and, you know, even higher resolution to truly get 
what you would experience on a CRT. These are pretty damn close. And I think if you like any kind of scanline emulation, I would try these. But I would also suggest that even if you were a grumpy old man like me that said, those are just lines, those aren't a real CRT mask, definitely try these because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. It's also my personal opinion that when I dial in whatever uh, filters that I want to emulate these scan lines, I try to go for something that if I'm looking for the CRT mask, I could kind of look and see it. But as I'm playing the game, I almost don't even notice it. The mask just cuts through the low resolution graphics the same way a CRT's mask does to give it the false sense of a higher resolution image. But if, you know, well, and that's kind of a hard thing to dial in, which is why I like the, the you know, the, the preset um, different, you know, single push filters, because when you're dialing them in, it's really easy to start looking at the mask and not the game. And then when you get it the way you want it, you start playing the game and you go, wow, this is really distracting. So that's just, I wanted to add my thoughts to that. And, you know, the goal, at least for me personally, is to that if you look for it, you could see it, but it really blends through the game. And I'm not talking so much about the darkness uh, you know, in the the thickness of the scanline mask, I'm talking about how it cuts through the image, uh, how much is on screen, and that really is something that you have to dial in for yourself. The size of your TV, the type of your TV, the distance that you're sitting, what CRT you're used to gaming on, all of these things factor in for you. So um, just take a moment to mess around with it, but now that there's the preset settings and profiles and stuff like that, it should be much easier to just jump in. So um, that should sum it up this week for the Mr. Stuff. Thanks again to Lou, and of course, please remember to subscribe to him as well. Well, that's it for this week. I just want to take the time to once again thank all of the new contributors, and I want to let everybody and all of you know that if you turn out to be somebody that contributes every now and then, if you get bored and stop contributing, or if you contribute all the time, I love all of those things. I hope you are made to feel welcome no matter how often you contribute, uh, and I hope you know how much we all appreciate it, because I really want RetroRGB to just be community-focused, and I want people to always feel welcomed, and I want this to be a place where we can share information with each other. And, you know, like I said last week, there really aren't many prerequisites for what it takes to to be able to post here. You know, you have to love this stuff as much as we do, and, and have the passion to take the time to write about it. You have to be open to feedback, and of course, you have to accept that we're all going to make mistakes stakes and we're kind of working through this together. So, you know, the offer's still open. Uh, I get a million emails anyway, so please forgive me if I haven't gotten back to you yet or if we were midway through a conversation and I stopped responding. It was never intentional. I just got so much on my plate and I'm trying to balance it all. But with all of you amazing new contributors, maybe that'll be a little easier and life could get back to somewhat less insanity. So anyway, as always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments. And of course, thank you to everybody who supports in any way possible. Because while the monthly support services like Patreon and Floatplane are what keeps this going, even things just like telling your friends, subscribing to all of the people who contribute, all of this just really spreads the love. And I appreciate all of you so much. So thank you very much. And I'll see you next week.